Ladies and gentlemen, the 2021 Emilia Romagna Grand Prix is on us and today on this podcast we dive down deep into the race and try to find out the major aspects that you would want to know more about, try to discuss that, try to dissect it and know what our takes are on that including that crazy accident between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas. We shall find out who's at fault, but that is to come. Let's get down deep into it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome along to the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. My name is Samuel Arora, joined by Kunal Shah, the ex-marketing head of Force India and now the motorsport consultant at VS Sport Network. And Kunal, I had a friend of mine who just recently came into Formula One. This was his first ever live race that he watched. And what a way for a new fan to begin. I think the best way to put it is, if you bring a new fan in and you show them this race, they will become a big-time fan. And, and that person, thankfully, has yeah thanks for the introduction Samuel but I have to ask this friend of yours did he or she become uh, a fan of Formula One due to drive to survive would you know that he did <laughs> I mean it helps it helps I mean it's certainly a factor that's bringing in more numbers to Formula One so that's a plus uh, it is I'm, I'm not ashamed of drive to survive one bit you know because it's bringing more numbers to Formula One it's bringing more numbers to our show and to our channel and that's great for us that's great for our partners as well that's also great for our newsletter we've started a new newsletter service it's free it's insightful it's visually engaging so uh, we're going to leave a description uh, we're going to leave a link in the description for those who are eager to sign up but Samuel back to your friend I think we couldn't have asked for a better uh, race to sort of have your friend uh, enjoy Formula One because the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix and you know I'll stay away from saying the full name of the race <laughs> right it it was a classic motor race you know traditional circuit changing weather conditions two of the best drivers going head to head right from the start uh red flag you know we had that we didn't sort of anticipate that would happen but we had the rookies crashing into the barriers we had several penalties we we had uh, we we had the perfect ingredients of an unpredictable Formula One race, and I think it was brilliant. It was superb, right? The rain was in there as well, and and that's always a plus. We as Formula One fans are always dying to see rain in. It just helps out, right? It, it helps out so much to put in such a good race. But there's so much to talk about. So many big incidents. Let's start with the first bit, Kunal. That is rating the race, and for me personally. It's it's a sure shot, nine out of ten, just for the sheer drama, just for the sheer storylines. Okay, at certain times it did slightly tail off, only slightly. But what more could you ask for? Uh, even with the red flag break as well, we got some proper drama at the end, courtesy of a stellar Lewis Hamilton comeback. More on that later. But what's your take on that? Oh, also let's re let's revive something that we used to do last season. Your pits to podium moment, Kunal. My pits to podium moment. Well, it. I think it would be uh, Lando Norris, you know, he of course got voted as the driver of the day, uh, but, uh, you know, it would have been something had he stuck it on pole, uh, you know, he missed out pole by a couple of inches, you know, being off track, uh, track limits yesterday, but he drove a phenomenal race, uh, you know, in, in, in Adimola to, you know, get to where he did, he scored his first podium of the season already. 
in both the races, he scored a top four finish, which is fantastic for him, fantastic for McLaren. And to go back to your question about my rating for the race, I would probably give it a 10 on 10, Sommel, you know, so it's not too far off from where you rated it. And I must also, you know, give a disclaimer that my ratings usually are, you know, 3 on 10 or 10 on 10. You know, I, I pretty much I'm between the extremes, I would say. <laughs> And and I don't blame you. Sometimes Formula One can just be at a three on ten. Paul Ricard will looking at you, but this one was just super, <laughs> right? A lovely, lovely way to bring it in. And what was so lovely about it, Kunal, was the battle that we saw between Verstappen and Hamilton, right? So I gave this a little bit of thought. I, I asked myself, what is this like, this battle that we are seeing? And I know I'm putting a lot of wrestling analogies into my uh, videos these days, but that's just because I'm watching a lot of it. But what it really feels like, it feels like a good wrestling storyline, right? You see something, they tease it, then he sees another big fight. where well, they're not completely done yet. They're showing you what could be the case, just enough to leave some flames in your stomach and make you feel like, yeah, I'd actually pay to watch more of it, you know? That is what is happening. And unlike wrestling, this one isn't scripted. It's all real. It's all <laughs> happening the way it is. It makes you want to buy in to the next pay-per-view that's in wrestling, but it makes you want to tune in to the next Formula One race. And it's making me do the same. I'm just compelled to watch on, as I'm sure you are as well, dear listener. It's just building up so well. And isn't that what we like about live sport? Absolutely. It is amazing. And it's also hopefully triggering you guys to tune into the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium to, to hear what Samuel and I have to say about the race. But taking forward your analogy of wrestling i you know when we talk of verstappen versus hamilton i loved how they wrestled uh, you know at turn one on the opening lap uh verstappen brilliant getaway uh, you know he started in second gear he himself was surprised at the kind of uh, you know acceleration that he you know got uh, i think it was a fair move into turn one typical aggressive uh, you know he had his elbows out uh, Lewis, of course, had to ride over the curbs, right? And at the end of it all, I think in in it was just perfect. It's just how we want to see the best drivers battle it out on track. And uh, you know, a few a few thoughts about the race also, Samuel. Uh, while we are talking about the two drivers, was uh, after qualifying, the whole conversation was Lewis versus the Red Bull drivers. Because mm. Valtteri was down in P8, it was the whole talk of race strategy, how Red Bull could attack Lewis with two drivers on two different strategies and so on, right? But the rain changed that narrative. The rain gave us two of the best wet weather drivers in competitive machinery going head-to-head -head for track position. And, and for me, that's always a better narrative for Formula One than you know race strategy because you know tire strategy of course you can do a lot of things like giving you track position but nothing like seeing them wrestle it out on track greatness sells itself and it did today they were just superb at the start and lewis hamilton of course getting some slight uh some slight skirmishes with the anti-cut curbs right there at Imola. And they are really brutal. I saw a lot of that in some of the sim racing broadcasts that I did earlier today as well. Both races at Imola, by the way. <laughs> and some of those cars also really grinding it out there. Hamilton learned it the hard way around in the real world. But Hamilton also made a mistake. Now, 
greatness sometimes does fall into making some mistakes here and there. And at wet weather tracks, it's so easy to do that. I remember Hockenheim in 20... Was it 19 or 20? They, they, I think their 125th anniversary race. I think it was 2019 yeah. when we had the crowds in. And Hamilton made that error at the at the drag strip right at the very end. Had some front wing damage. Same this time at Toza. Very similar error. But the error aside, Kunal, and I know it's a big thing to say error aside because had he not made that error, who knows where he would have been. But even then, uh, just coming back to my friend, his main focus was not that old Lewis made a header. Made an error, I'm sorry. He came back to me at the end of the race and said, Hamilton is amazing. What a comeback this guy's had. And that's just the way, if a new Formula One can look at it that way, I think all of us, the oldies perhaps, can <laughs> just take a look at Lewis with another limelight, right? Because that was some comeback drive right there. And that's just Lewis being Lewis at the end of the day. I think, you know, I will split uh, the... Emilia Romagna Grand Prix into two halves because it literally was a race of two halves thanks to exactly. the, the Bottas and Russell crash. And in the first half of the race, it was Max Verstappen who was the star of the race. You know, we spoke about the start. He built up a comfortable lead. He stuck, uh, you know, he, he sort of made use of the lead when it came to the first round of pit stops. And he did everything right to, you know, be the leader of the race. And it was in the first half of the race where Lewis Hamilton had the rare error, you know, like like you said, you know, everyone makes an error. And I love the way how Lewis embraced his error. He said, hey, I usually don't make one, but this was a big one and just goes to show how much we are pushing all the time and the very fact that I'm human, right? So that's to do with the first part of the race. The second part of the race for me, Samuel, was when Hamilton actually shone, right? And, you know, he... He was, what, P8? He was a lap down. Of course, the red flag neutralized his, uh, you know, his uh, position of being a lap down. It allowed Mercedes to uh, repair the damage on his car, which, you know, they, by the way, claimed that it cost him two tenths in aero performance per lap, right? So uh, the, in the second half of the race, it's without a doubt that Lewis Hamilton was was you know classic he he carved his way through the field and he came up to you know p2 which which we wouldn't have thought was possible you know when we saw him in in the barriers in fact think about mercedes as a team on the lap that you know i think it was lap 31 or something when this happened on uh, when uh, when lewis was in the barriers a few minutes later or a, you know a few corners later or something uh, it was Valtteri, in, you know, who had crashed out as well. So Mercedes had both the cars out of the race, technically, till Lewis, you know, reversed and rejoined the race. But for them to still leave this weekend as leaders of the championships is is absolutely another surprise. I, 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 I I'm exactly having the same sort of feeling, Kunal. How have they done that? That's just Mercedes for you, right? Bottas's incident, we shall come to this immediately afterwards. It's a big one. We can't ignore it. But that's just how Lewis Hamilton is. That's just how superb he was. But to touch up briefly, Kunal, it's, a, it's one thing that's been on my mind quite a lot. And I know it's not, it's not the top topic to speak about, but it's still something really big that we should be speaking about. Last year, Monza, uh, we, saw, we saw a similar sort of situation. Mercedes is not uh, being in the best of positions. And we saw both Hamilton and Bottas stuck in the midfield. And I, I know we did this debrief on the Inside Line podcast and Pitch the Podium, where we discussed the reason why Mercedes were not so good. 
is because their car wasn't designed to be in the midfield. Their car was designed to be best in the fresh air, not so much in terms of dirty air when you've got cars that you are chasing. But again, at this time out, things were different because the second half of the race was still relatively dry in comparison. And what was bizarre was that Bottas could not make his way through the midfield, but Hamilton carved his way past easily. And that's that's been something that's been doing the rounds on Twitter. Why is that? Why is it just a stark contrast in terms of driving ability? I don't think Bottas is that bad. It must be something else, wasn't it? I, I wouldn't rate it as driving ability, Somil, but... You know, what the first two races of uh, 2021 ha- has shown uh, is that the Mercedes has a very narrow operating uh, range. And this is something uh, Lewis Hamilton has been saying after qualifying yesterday on pole position, right? And it just seems that Lewis is able to operate within this narrow range far more comfortably than the likes of uh, Valtteri Bottas. And Bottas has been complaining of rear instability, uh, you know, throughout. And this is despite topping the free practice sessions on, on Friday and so on. So I just think it's it's about how Bottas is still finding his feet in the, in the car uh, uh, while Lewis already has sort of done that. And maybe that's just down to adaptability in, in their driving styles. And, you know, we've, we've seen it's it's Lewis Hamilton, you know, he's he's able to adapt himself to whatever car Mercedes is able to to build him. We've seen the likes of him drive, you know, we, we've seen him drive the likes of the Diva in the past and so on, right? So it's, it's yeah. just the operating range from what I've been reading. And it's amazing. When Valtteri Bottas came into the team, Lewis Hamilton was a three-time world champion. Now, Lewis is a seven-time world champion. Uh, I mean, the, the man is an absolute beast, but that's this battle for the lead done. And we'll be speaking about this for a long time. Don't you worry, ladies and gentlemen. This one is going right down to the wire. But the crash, Kunal, um, it's been confusing. So I saw the replays. I saw the onboards. When I think of it, and I could very well be wrong. Again, I'm not the one who has the racing experience here. Kunal has to weigh that opinion in a little bit more. But what was really perplexing is that, firstly, a, a, a Williams was actually getting a move there on a Mercedes. Superb stuff, by the way, 2021. It's it's not, I don't know, uh, Williams wasn't back in the day when Mercedes was. So it's not 2010, by the way. That's what I wanted to say. But Russell got there to the outside line, right? It, there was a definite case where you knew that they were going to go side by side. That's for sure. He got the draft in. He got the run on. That was definitely going to be the case. But where where things really got stuck on was that marginal steering movement. Now, uh, that's the same thing that George Russell said. Bottas said he didn't do anything. But looking at the onboard of Russell, it seemed like there was a marginal movement. And and when you're doing 300 kilometers per hour, that marginal movement is enough, right, to make up your judgment. So who do you think is at fault right here? I, I don't know. I, I don't quite have the experience with this stuff, so I can't be calling it right down the wire. But what's your take on this one, Gunal? Who was at fault in this particular incident? You know, frankly, I'm, I'm glad it's got, uh, you know, it's been called out as a racing incident because that's how I see it. Uh, at, at first, you know, people thought that Botas unfairly pushed uh, George Russell closer to the edge of, uh, you know, at, to, to the edge of the width of the track and so on, right? But multiple onboards, multiple angles actually show that, yes, Botas made a movement as any driver would, you know, while they're defending. Uh, and it was a marginal movement as George Russell, you know, himself confirmed. Uh, so 
despite having done that, you know, Botas, of course, left ample wit, as we've also seen in, in all the screen grabs that, you know, are doing the rounds of social media, right? So uh, technically, Botas was clean. He made a move to defend. He left ample wit. Uh, the question here is, did he make the move a little too late for comfort? That's probably the question to ask. But again, uh, you know, the FIA have looked at it and uh, I, I would go with the judgment that I think it was okay. And uh, it was just uh, Russell who had his, you know, who, who had a loss of grip because his right uh, tires were probably, not probably, they were either on the white line or, you know, just off it. And, and that's what just caused the the shunt. And it was a massive shunt. It, of course, brought out the red flag. It threw out a lot of shit on Kimi's face in his own words, right? But in the <laughs> end, you know, Tamburello has, has had history in Formula One and I'm glad that... Yeah. This was just another shunt that both drivers walked away safely from. Bad memories. Let's let's not bring them up right here. But you know what kind of a dangerous track Imola can be. But on the lighter side, second year in a row where Kimi Raikkonen has seen George Russell have an accident. And he said, three positions. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but that's Kimi Raikkonen for you. Lovely, lovely stuff for him as well. But... Uh, Let's get to it, Kunal. Uh, I think this is one topic that we've really wanted to discuss. And I'm glad because uh, coming back to my friend, he also made this observation that Lando Norris is a beast. Because he is. That was a good race from him. Gentle giant, if we may call him that, right? <laughs> but, you know, since I spoke about the two halves of the race, Samuel, there was one driver that shone in both halves of the race. And that, yeah. to me, was Lando Norris. Okay. Uh, you know, I think he, he, he was fantastic in, in the start. There were three cars going abreast, making all the overtakes on the Alpha Tauri and Carlos Sainz and the likes. And in, in the second half, uh, you know, he was, he was, of course, holding up uh, the Ferraris. He was on the soft tires because he had no other tires to sort of go on. He, the mediums were actually used up for him, right? But uh, I think he also benefited very well to... Uh, to ask, uh, you know, McLaren for those team orders. Very rare to see Daniel Ricciardo actually make way for another driver, right? True. But uh, yes, Lando Norris, he's uh, now, I think he's third in the driver's championship. And I think that is phenomenal. Uh, you know, two top four finishes like we spoke about and uh, pretty, pretty good for McLaren as well, you know, with the whole uh, recovery that they're aiming with the Mercedes engine and the likes and, you know, McLaren are also able to make the stride on single lap pace as we saw in qualifying as well. So all in all, a, a brilliant weekend for Lando Norris. It was. 27 points is his championship tally. And that's not 27 points in three or four races as you would expect a midfield team to accumulate. That is in two races. That, that is mind-blowing. That That's just the way Lando Norris has been so far this season. Very, very good. And now, I'm compelled to say that this could have been very, very good, Kunal. Because yesterday, there, were, there was a real sense of excitement about Sergio Perez. And I, I felt, I genuinely felt that, right, you know, he stomped Max Verstappen in qualifying at a circuit like Imola. Where it's a proper driver's track. It, it largely comes down to how daring you actually are. And Sergio Perez won that battle. But... Just a case of what could have been today. And so many things that could have gone wrong did went wrong, didn't go wrong eventually. Your thoughts on Checo? Well, you know, a little disappointing. He went from hero to zero in, in no time, literally. 
But let's not forget his qualifying efforts, I would say, because, uh, you know, he said in his post-race qualifying debrief that, you know, if there's a track you don't want to come to in only your second race for the team, it's <laughs> Imola. And he actually sort of did that. And he was actually pretty sure that had he not made his mistake on the last corner, he would have got pulled from Lewis Hamilton. So that would have been an even bigger statement to make, right? But come Sunday, you know, I think... I think I'll add I'll add a I'll add a filter to the conversation. Of course, this is not what Checo said, but uh, you don't want to come to Imola in the wet for your second race for a, a new team. I guess that's probably what happened. He lost positions at the start itself, uh, and you know then he of course on the opening few laps he lost position to uh, you know to Charles Leclerc as well. So uh, he sort of just went backwards, and then the whole mistake under the safety car again. I think just too eager that. He probably wanted to get get those positions back. And then, you know, he was running up to P4 till he had that spin. So all in all, great learnings. But yes, unfortunate for him that he was, you know, half a second outside of the top 10. He finished 11th. But, you know, after, after all the heroics yesterday, I'm sure he wouldn't have appreciated much finishing outside of the podium uh, places, you know. Indeed, yeah. There's a silver lining, of course, those qualifying heroics, but there's no taking away from the fact that Checo Perez is an amazing driver. Just those impulse movements uh, that happens when you're in the middle of a race. He had that error and he thought, yeah, I, I don't think I should have lost that, you know. But again, when you're, when you're in a Formula One car, I think that happens. And But again, you can also have a counterpoint and say Checo Perez has been in the sport for what? 10, 11 years now? He, he should be doing better. The bottom line is, stuff happens. He knows it. We know it. He's going to come back stronger. That's the main thing. But uh, home race for Ferrari Canal and Ferrari were good today. And I can't believe I'm saying this after the debacle of last year. But P4 and 5, that uh, it brings a smile on our face. And Nityan will be having a gala time. And even Clayton, <laughs> uh, two of our uh, team members at Pits to Podium who are geniuses with social media. And they also support Ferrari and and. and yeah, they've had a tough time. Let's put it that way. You know, if you were to listen to Sebastian Vettel, he says everyone's a uh, everyone's a Ferrari fan, even if you yes. even if you say you're not a Ferrari fan. You know, but you know the 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 great thing about Ferrari is that a they have these spirited performances from Charles Leclerc, and this time we even saw that with Carlos Sainz Jr., which is fantastic. And the second thing, and this is maybe a little more personal, you know, is that for once, people are actually celebrating them finishing fourth and fifth. So, you know, they're not they're not finishing, you know, uh, uh, first and second or, you know, any any higher than, you know, uh, the top five uh, positions. But very rarely do you see people cheer a fourth and fifth place finish for Ferrari. But that's just how it's been. Like you said, you know, 2020 was a debacle for them. Uh, they've regrouped. They've, they've, you know, uh, they've again had a restructure, which seemingly seems to be working. <laughs> but uh, you know, Charles Leclerc, fantastic driving yet again. Uh, Carlos Sainz very narrowly missed out on, uh, you know, uh, Q3 yesterday, but he went from P11 to P5, and I think that was a brilliant recovery drive. And you know, in the post race, uh, uh, post race interviews on on uh, Via Sport. Uh, Carlos actually said that, uh, you know, they actually were carrying more downforce and that's probably why they couldn't hold back Lewis much longer than they, they would have thought they could have. So great to, you know, see them 
fourth and fifth, uh, you know, in their home race. And, you know, they are 34 points, fourth in the Constructors' Championship, just seven points behind McLaren. Who would have thought that would have happened? Exactly. It's good. It's good to see Ferrari in a situation like this one. And I'm glad. We all love Ferrari deep down, as you mentioned, with that Sebastian Vettel quote. But uh, we we get to speak to Sebastian Vettel next. Speak about Sebastian Vettel next. I'm sorry. that I know if you're a Vettel fan, that's a bad transition. When you're speaking about the glory days of Ferrari, about Sebastian Vettel and what makes all of us love Ferrari, then all of a sudden, all the bad stuff with Vettel and Ferrari flashes back to your mind. I know. can be a bit sad to see at times, but just was... The sad stuff continuing on for him today, Kunal. Uh, what, what can we say? Because, of course, I, it's hard I have to... no words, okay, for Sebastian Vettel. Because, uh, you know, on one hand, there's a driver who's trying to uh, resurrect his form, his his name, his, his credentials in the sport. And yeah. then on the other hand, he had a race like he did today, which, you know, if you make a list of all the things he went through, you're like, oh my God, this is... Even worse than the worst bad luck one could expect. So, mm-hmm. before the race started, brake overheating, uh, overheating issues. That led to the team actually working on his car on the start grid. They needed more time. So, all his four tires weren't fitted at the five-minute uh, mark just before the start of the race. And that led to a 10-second stop-go penalty, which eventually converted all of that into... Uh, you know, a gearbox issue that saw him retire on the penultimate lap of the race, right? And despite all of this, it was he was barely even in the whole race narrative, you know, uh, Samuel. I think Nikita Mazepin was mentioned more than Sebastian Vettel during the 63-lap race. So there's something that needs to change fundamentally in, in, in what's going on in Sebastian Vettel's life in Formula 1. It reminds me a lot of Arsenal fan TV, right? This one where you have uh, someone so passionate that you love and you want to do so well. And there's all the supporters so passionate, by the way, but and, and who love the driver and the team in the Arsenal fan TV case. But just, just the frustration builds up. And you know Sebastian will be feeling the same thing because he wants to succeed as well. I don't know what to say. Seriously, I, you know, you can listen, you can see by the time I've come to this junction, I'm struggling for words a little bit, but that's because I've grown up watching Sebastian Vettel, right? I don't want to see him in this situation. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's let's sweep it under the carpet and move on to something else. Before, before you actually move on, oh. there was something interesting that Sebastian Vettel said that he actually, uh, you know, in the second half of the race or rather the second half of, you know, when the, re- the restart <laughs> happened, right? They took on the soft tires, uh, thinking that it's going to be a standing start when it in fact turned out to be a rolling start. So mm. I was puzzled by it itself. We all assumed that the drivers would, you know, line up and then go onto the start grid for a standing yeah. start. So I'm I'm expecting the FIA to issue some sort of clarification because I think there were a couple of teams that were caught out by this whole decision to to make a rolling start, uh, you know, to the second half of the race. No, you're absolutely right, Kunal, because I remember that being the protocol, wasn't it? It recently changed up and it, and it was changed to the fact that after a red flag, you will come to a standing start. So, yeah, yeah good spot. That, why? Why did that happen? Uh, again, FIA has been slightly inconsistent with track limits last time on this one here. It's a hard job. Yeah, I wouldn't be a steward. I wouldn't give up this mic to be a Formula One FIA steward. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a hard place to be in. But uh, next up, 
we've got to speak about a few other things before we finally go off air, folks. A few penalties being awarded, many, many crashes happening. Uh, just very briefly, Nikas Latifi had his incident. And this time, I don't think Mazabin was at fault because it was a car coming back on in the wet. Latifi could have slightly back. Uh, sorry, Mazabin could have slightly backed off, but I think it was more Latifi than Mazabin. Uh, and, and then there were so many other penalties as well that we had here this weekend. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, Latifi's crash, Mazabin's involvement. Firstly, congratulations to Nikita Mazabin. He finished the race. I think that's important. No, I say this with good intentions. You know, here's a driver who's <laughs> trying to learn, who's spending a lot of his family wealth to be in Formula One. So the least you can do is at least help him uh, be positive or, or speak positively when he's had a good time, right? So I would say that about Nikita Mazepin. But, you know, talking about, again, Imola driver circuit, it offering a challenge and the likes, all three rookies met the barriers this weekend. You saw Latifi, sorry, you saw uh, Sunoda do it in qualifying. Mick Schumacher did that in the race. And of course, uh, Nikita Mazepin did it in free practice one and a couple of other spins, uh, you know, here and there. So in all, it, it's great that, you know, uh, the driver, the rookies were offered a bigger challenge at, at Imola, you know, when they make the step up from Formula 2 to, to Formula 1. But back to the Latifi Mazepin incident, I just think Latifi thought, he could sort of bully his way, uh, you know, against Mazepin and keep track position because it was Latifi who made the mistake and he, you know, went off, uh, uh, you know, at the corner before. And then he rejoined and realized, oh, my God, Nikita's pretty close. Let me just sort of close the door. And, you know, I think he closed the door a little too aggressively and he saw the barrier, not something I thought he would have expected. But that was one penalty. The most confusing penalty was Kimi Raikkonen's and I'm not even going to go into what that penalty was. All we know is he finished P9 and of course was thrown out of the points because of the penalty and in fact for Alfa Romeo, Giovinazzi had to make an unscheduled pit stop in the closing stages of the race to sort out a car problem which is why he lost out on points as well. Otherwise, instead of the two Alpines, you would have probably had the two uh, Alfa Romeos scoring points. And that would have been some sight, right? At their home race, seeing them do so well would have been something. But hey, good on Alpine. They, they recently got their upgrades in. They were in a bit of a scrappy spot recently as well. Good to see them doing that. But Kunal, final thoughts before we go off. Uh, this was such a good weekend. It was. It was a brilliant weekend. And final thoughts actually are down to the Constructors' Championship table, which I have open here. <laughs> Aston Martin are in fifth place. In the Constructors' Championship with seven points. Okay. In fourth place are Ferrari with 34 points. Right? And that is five times more points that the team in fourth place has already over the team in fifth place. So it's, you know, four teams have done a bulk of the scoring in the first two races of the season. And that's, of course, Mercedes and Red Bull and then McLaren and Ferrari. And I think I think that's A, great for, for the way it's shaping up and B, for as close as we thought the, the midfield would be at the moment, it's clearly McLaren and Ferrari who have come out on top of the, the uber-competitive midfield battle. So... 
Food for thought, literally, before we go off air. That's, a, that's an interesting one. I wrote an article about understanding how fast Alpha Tauri was. Perhaps I was fooled into thinking they were good enough to be in that class in McLaren and Ferrari. This weekend, of course, plagued by issues. Yuki having his accident. Gasly not finding the momentum after the first part. But let's see. Let's see. I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I am. And I must tell you, your article was actually well-written and well-intentioned. Uh, At the race in Imola... Pierre Gasly actually made the wrong gamble of tire strategy. He started on yep. the full wets, and that's what cost him track position. And eventually, he scored points. But you know, from P5, of course, he would have hoped to go ahead, not fall back. And the other driver that actually even had full wets was Esteban Ocon. And there was at one point he was 17th or something. But you know, the the red flag, of course, helped him. Uh, you know, come up ahead and. And, and score points, uh, you know, at Imola. And as I'm sure you guys remember, he also out-qualified Fernando Alonso. So great yeah. uh, great going for Ocon. And in fact, for Alonso, he scored his first points, uh, you know, upon returning to Formula 1. So that's some great uh, positive news as well. Yeah, Sundaram from our team will be jumping with joy after that one. But hey, it's been a lovely race weekend. It's been so many discussion points. Folks, we shall be back with a lot of good stuff also on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch to Podium. More midweek race stuff, more good discussions. We've got many topics to speak to you about and also coming up with the race previews. This is the place to be. Leave a subscribe if you like what you heard or what you saw. Leave us a like as well. A constructive comment would do a world of good. And if you really liked it, Come on, share it with your friends and family members who are interested in Formula One. And also, we've got our Grand Prix Prediction League coming too. For more information on that, you can check out our social media links down below. Subscribe to our newsletter as well. I know by the end of this point, I'm plugging a lot of stuff. But as I said in the last episode, it's just a bunch of all the good stuff that we are doing right here at the Inside Line F1 podcast and Bits to Podium. But folks, real pleasure having you on on this ride for this weekend. What a race weekend it was. And thank you so much for joining me as always. Lovely to have you on. Likewise, Tommy, great race, great episode. And I'm sure we're going to be speaking soon for another video on our channel. Indeed. Bye-bye, folks. See you. Bye-bye.